Amen. Man, who said you can't have fun at church? Amen? Thank you, Dwayne. Oh, good job. Well, I love that song. Amen? Those songs together, that melody. Isn't that awesome? One of these days. Are you ready? One of these days. Those eastern skies are going to part, and we're going to see the king coming. He is coming. I'm glad we're in chapter 19 of Revelations too. Amen. I'd hate to preach Revelation 17 and 18 after all of that. But anyway, open your Bibles this morning to Revelation chapter 19. And as you're turning there, we had a couple of things this weekend that God really blessed. And uh, First of all, we had the men's conference Friday night. We had over 600 men there, 650, something like that. It was a glorious night, Friday night. Uh, thank all of Lindsey Lane had so many guys there. Thank you for being there and participating and praying for that great service. We had a great time. Joel Carwile and Tim uh, Anderson and myself, uh, we were just humbled to be there with all those men. Had a great night. So uh, I hope you saw a new husband when he got back Friday night or Saturday morning. And then let me share this with you. Last night, Saturday night, Lindsey Lane Christian Academy, that little 1A school, won the area championship. Amen? Look at this. Look there on the screen. Can you believe it? Our 10 years, we've already won the area, and that's just things to come. So I want to say congratulations to our, uh, our headmaster and coach, Steve Murr, and Charles Morrison, and the whole team, and the cheerleaders, and all the people that supported Lindsey Lane. They'll be pray, playing this Tuesday night at home at our Lindsey Lane campus there, and then hopefully go to the state on Thursday. So be praying for them and supporting them. I'm excited. I was excited for those guys. I went in and talked to them. I gave them the old Gipper talk. Amen. After the game. And I was just so, so excited to see what God's doing at Lindsey Lane Christian Academy. So thank you so much for supporting our academy. In Revelation chapter 19. In chapter 18, we're leaving behind the sounds of weeping and mourning as we see that great city, Babylon, is finally parting and passing. For in one hour we saw that Babylon... It's one world order, it's one world system is going from glory to the grave. And so in chapter 19, we study, in chapter 19, we see there's a new sound. In chapter 18 and 17, in previous chapters, dealing with the tribulation, we saw the sounds of reveling, the sounds of horror. But in chapter 19, John hears a new sound. A new sound. So in your outline today, number one, we see the voice of rejoicing. The voice of rejoicing. Now follow with me in this chapter. What a great chapter this is. It really is. And all of these chapters are, but the remaining chapters. But this is a great chapter. And I look forward to preaching this message today. So number one, we're going to talk about what John heard and what John saw. The voice of rejoicing. Chapter 19, verses 1 through 6. Follow with me. After these things, I heard a loud voice. You know, he heard a lot of voices from heaven, didn't he? But the voice, the Lord God himself. But he said, I heard a loud voice of great multitude in heaven. And they were saying, Hallelujah. Salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. 
For true and righteous are His judgments. You better believe it. His righteous is just. His judgments are true. Because He has judged the great harlot, that would be Babylon. We talked about it last Sunday. The great harlot Babylon who corrupted the earth with her fornication, her immorality. That's what's going to happen. We're already seeing it. We're already seeing immorality rampant in our nation today. But in the end times, after we're raptured up, there's going to be so much fornication and immorality in the name of Babylon, a representative of Babylon, that great city. And then he said, He has avenged, God has avenged on her blood of His servant shed by her blood. Again, they say, said, Hallelujah. Praise Jehovah is what that means. He says, Hallelujah. Her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sat on the throne. And they said, Amen and Hallelujah. Notice how many times they said Hallelujah and Amen. You better get used to it. I'm telling you, this is in heaven, what they're saying. Amen. Hallelujah. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. All His servants and all those who fear Him, both small and great, big and large, black and white, on and on, every tribe, every kindred, every nation. And I heard as if were the voice of a great multitude, as a sound of many waters and as a sound of mighty thundering, saying... Say it with me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. For the Lord God omnipotent. For let, let us be glad and rejoice and give Him glory. For the marriage supper of the Lamb has come and the wife has made herself ready. Now I want you to look in chapter 18 at verse number 20. Watch this. Chapter 18 of Revelations, verse 20. Rejoice over her. The fall of Babylon. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and your new holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged blood on her. And so they're rejoicing. He said, I want you to rejoice because I have avenged you. All those martyrs and all the prophets of the, of the past. He said, I've avenged your blood on, on Babylon. I'm destroying Babylon. I'm going to destroy all the armies of the earth. And we're going to set up the millennial kingdom, which we'll talk about next Sunday. And so that's what he said, I want you to rejoice over that. So John hears this voice from heaven. He hears this great heavenly choir, just like we just heard. A great choir in heaven. And so they're singing, hallelujah, salvation, glory, and honor, and power. The song of salvation. Five times he says, hallelujah. Now the Greek text says, the Greek text says, hallelujah, which in the Greek and in the Hebrew is hallelujah. And so whichever, it means the same thing. Praise God, Jehovah. The question is, who is this great choir? Well, we saw some of that. We saw the 24 elders are going to be there worshiping Him. We see the four living creatures constantly worshiping God. The angels are going to be worshiping Him. And all of His servants and His saints, all together in one big family. By the way, you will sing in the choir one day. Amen? Where's Dwayne at? Hallelujah. You will sing in the choir one day. The heavenly choir, we're going to sing and we're going to worship Him. And it's going to be awesome. You know, by the way, we're not going to be singing those tearjerker songs. You know, like we do at funerals. 
You know, people say, now we don't want this to be a sad funeral. We want to be upbeat. And then they sing, go rest high on the mountain. <laughs> Daddy's hands. Mama's rocking chair. I'm squalling. Amen? And so, but we're not going to sing those kind of songs in heaven. Now, I understand that. But here we're going to be singing things like, our God saves. Amen? We're going to sing like, He reigns. And we're going to be singing Handel's Messiah, the Hallelujah Chorus. He shall reign forever and ever. Hallelujah! 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 <laughs> Amen? The choir is going to chime in. You missed it. Oh, Lord God, omnipotent. There you go. See, you're practicing for the great choir you're going to be in. It's going to be awesome. We're going to praise Him. We're going to glorify Him. You won't be ashamed to praise Him. You're going to be glad to be there. And you're going to be worshiping God. And we're going to sing hallelujah and amen. Praise the Lord. God Almighty, omnipotent, He reigns. He reigns. It's going to be an awesome time. And then uh, we're going to talk about the marriage supper. Number two, let me get right in. Number, the marriage supper. Look at verses 7 through 10. The marriage supper. Let us be glad. That's why we're rejoicing. We're glad. And like we just, just did. This is going to be a picture of heaven when our worship time today. The smiling faces, the clapping, and people rejoicing. That's what it's going to be like in heaven. Verse 7 says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give Him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His wife has been made ready. You know who that is, don't you? That's us. That's the bride. That's the church. And to her, it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen. You're going to get some new duds. You're going to need them, amen? It's going to be awesome. Clean. You're going to be cleaned up. You're going to be bright and shining for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. We're going to be changed. And then he said to me, Right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These things are true sayings. And in verse 10, I fell at his feet, John said. John, This is a splendor angel, by the way. It mentions it in chapter 18. John just falls down at this angel's feet. He's just overcome by all of this. And notice what happened. But the angel said to me, See that you don't do that. I'm a fellow servant like you and of the brethren. And I, I'm just, uh, who have the testimony of Jesus. And look, watch this. Worship God. Worship God. You know, we worship a lot of stuff on this earth. But when we get to heaven, we're going to worship God. Amen. We're going to worship God. We're going to bow at His feet. And for the testimony of Jesus is the Spirit of prophecy. I'm telling you that great hallelujah chorus is a prelude to the great wedding ceremony. Now I want you to watch this, what he's talking about. Now the wedding has already happened. We're waiting on the ceremony. The wedding's already happened when you got saved. When I got saved, I got married to Jesus. Can I get a witness? When I got saved, Christ came into my heart and I became a part of his bride. His bride being the New Testament church. And I became a part of that bride there at Lindsay, uh, Round Island Baptist Church and now at Lindsay Lane Baptist Church. I'm a part of the bride of Christ. The church is the bride. And so the wedding has already happened, but when we get to heaven, there's going to be a great ceremony that's going to happen. 
It's going to be awesome. That's what this chapter is talking about. And that's what this ceremony is all about. And, you know, weddings are so beautiful. They're, they're pomped and, and, they're, and they're gorgeous and beautiful. And, you know, we just really witnessed a great one, didn't we? We gained access by TV and satellite. And we saw the spectacular wedding of Prince Harry and Meghan Markle in that great royal wedding. I don't know how many of you watched that, but it was a grand day. It was a grand wedding, wasn't it? There's a lot of bucks put into that. It was a grand royal wedding. But I'm here to tell you, it cannot touch the wedding that's going to be in heaven at this great wedding ceremony. The ultimate royal wedding is going to take place between the bride of Christ and the bridegroom who is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why Matthew said, and Jesus said it in Matthew 16, 18, I shall build my church in the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's us. We're the bride of Christ. Christ is the bridegroom. And that's what John is seeing. He's seeing this great ceremony taking place, the marriage ceremony. So A, in our outline, A is the marriage ceremony of the Lamb, the Lamb of God, in verse 7 and 8. Now, when Jesus returns at the rapture, first he's calling his bride in the air. Now, after the tribulation, the seven-year uh, tribulation, before, I mean, the, before the seven-year tribulation, things are going to be starting getting bad here on the earth, as I just talked about. It's getting bad. It's going to get worse. And before all of that, we're going to be raptured up. The bride of Christ is going to be raptured up in the air. We're going to meet Jesus in the air. And guess what he's going to do? He's going to clean us up. He's going to remove all the spots, all the blemishes as we're judged on our works. We've been saved. We're part of the bride. But the bride meets him in the air. He begins to judge us on our works and our good deeds and all of that. And all the spots and all the blemishes are being removed. He's preparing us. That's what he means by he's making his bride ready. He's getting us ready. Are you getting ready? As part of the bride, are you getting ready for this ceremony? You need to be preparing and worshiping him and obedience to him. And so he's preparing his bride. And so he's removing those spots and blemishes for the royal wedding, the ultimate royal wedding. And so uh, John witnesses this gladness and this rejoicing in verse number 7. Because the bride is making herself ready. Isn't it awesome to watch a wedding? We've all been there and all had parts of weddings and been in them and all of that. Some of you are looking forward to getting married. But there's no more beautiful thing than watching the bride come through those doors. I'm telling you, it's not. I mean, the groom is shaking. I can just feel him sometime. I mean, <laughs> and he's just shaking, man. He's ready. But boy, when those doors open up, there she is. She's in that beautiful white dress. Beautiful. I mean, gorgeous. And she begins to walk down that aisle. I'll never forget Patsy Joe Holland. When I got married in 1973, yes, I'm old. That's all right, but I'm still married, all right? And so, Patsy Joe Holland came there at Bethel Church of Christ. They put the record player on. Here comes the bride. And so, uh, no piano. All right, anyway, but uh, she came down that aisle, and there I was, 20 years old, shaking in my boots. But boy, when I saw Patsy Joe Holland, I'm telling you, it was something. She was beautiful. She didn't have a veil on like old Curly of the Three Stooges. Y'all remember that? Remember his bride came down there and he picked the veil up. She had no teeth. <laughs> none of that. None of that. I mean, they're beautiful. And that's the way it's going to be. 
You think about this. Just think about what's happening. When you get to heaven, you've been through the judgment seat of Christ. You've been judged by, by your rewards and deeds, spots and blemishes, all that. And now you put on the apparel. See, you're going to look good too, grooms, men rather. We're all going to be dressed in white, all of us. And we're going, to get, we're going to have the ceremony. We've already married now. We're already married to Jesus. But when we get there, we're going to be cleaned up. We're going to put on our white apparel. And it's going to be a great ceremony in heaven with the bridegroom meets the bride. And there we are rejoicing with that great choir in heaven. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Let me help you with this, give you a little picture. Ephesians chapter 5. And I want you to look. He talks about the husband being submitted to, a wife submit to the husband, and the husband loving the wife as Christ loved the church and gave him. See, if you'll think about this, it'll help you stay married. If you'll just think about what marriage is all about. It's Christ married to his bride. And our marriage down here is symbolic of our marriage with Christ. Husband is to love their wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And wives are to submit to their husbands in reverence. And together, we're a picture of this wedding ceremony in heaven. But I want you to notice something. I want you to look in verse number 26. Look in verse 26. That he might sanctify and cleanse her, the bride, with the washing of the water by his word. Now watch verse 27. That he may present her to himself, this is Jesus, the bridegroom, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or anything, but that she should be holy and without blemish. That's the bride of Christ, the New Testament bride of Christ. That's what we're going to be like. No blemishes, no more wrinkles, spots, nothing. No, we're going to be perfect, and we're going to meet the bridegroom. It's going to be an awesome time. Verse 32 in Ephesians 5, 32 says this. This is a great mystery. By the way, John saw this as a mystery. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. That's what Paul said. I speak concerning Christ and the church. So it's very important that we understand that. 2 Corinthians, Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 11, 2. Watch this. In 2 Corinthians 11, 2, he said, I am jealous... For you with godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. So it's a big deal. It's a big deal in heaven for this wedding ceremony when the bride meets the bridegroom. It's going to be an awesome time. And the great choirs are singing and rejoicing. The B part of that is the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now think about this. Uh, they must have been Baptists, right? Anyway, they're having a big supper after that, and we have that. We have the reception after that. And so they have the big ceremony, and now comes the marriage supper. And this is significant as well. The marriage supper. In verse number 9 of Revelations 19, look again in verse number 9. Then he said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are called, called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's Jesus. Again, that's the bridegroom. And so, blessed are those who are called to that. Now, the bride will be present, will be there, the bride. But also, there will be guests there invited. There will be guests there as well. Now, in Matthew chapter 22, 
Will you turn there with me just for a second? I'm going to try to hurry, uh, read this, but I want you to get a glimpse of this. This is Jesus giving a picture when he was on earth speaking to his disciples about this marriage supper that's going to take place in heaven. Now, in chapter 22 of Matthew, he says this, And Jesus answered and spoke to them again in a parable, and he said, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who arranged a marriage for his son. That would be the lamb. Now, watch this. He arranged a parable for his son, a marriage for his son, and he sent out servants to call those who were invited to the wedding, and they were not, will, they were not willingly come. Come And again, he sent out some other servants and tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my cattle, and they are killed, and all things are ready, and come to the wedding. Now watch verse 5. But they made light of it and went their way to, to their own farms and to their own businesses, and the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. You know what he's referencing here? The Jews. The Jews were God's chosen people. You remember that? They're God's chosen people. So he said, I want you to come. The, God's making ready the supper for the Lamb of God. And the Jews as a whole has rejected the Messiah. Still to this day, the majority of the Jews reject Jesus as Messiah. They wouldn't come to the wedding. And guess what happened after that? You got invited. A Gentile. I got invited as a Gentile. And then he told, I won't read this, but you can read it. He told his servant, well, go out to the highways and byways. And by George, you just get whoever will come then. If my people won't come, if the Jews won't come, then we'll get the Gentiles to come. And he opened it up, the invitation. For anybody and everybody who will say, Jesus is Lord. He's my Messiah. And then the invited guests. And by the way, that became the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 2, you watch it. The bride became the church. So we're there. We're the bride of Christ. But the invited guests are the other ones who are coming. These would be the resurrected Old Testament saints. Noah, Moses, David, all of them. They're going to be there. There will be some Jews there who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. They came. So they're, there. they're invited guests as well. And so others are coming. And so we see them there. Uh, the resurrected saints. And then all the saints who survived the tribulation period. Remember we talked about that. They'll be invited guests as well to join the bride, us. And all together we're going to celebrate this great wedding with a wedding supper. And again, John was overcome. He just fell down and started worshiping the angel. He said, no, don't worship me. I'm, I'm like you. I'm worshiping God. And so they began to worship God, which brings us to number three. And by the way, the choir, I can't just, oh, it was awesome. They sang about this. The king is coming. Amen. The king is coming. He's not going to might come or he probably will come or we hope he comes. He's coming. The king is coming. The question is, are you ready to meet him? That's the question. I'm telling you, it's the question. Now look at verse 11 through 16. Oh, my word, I'm about to have a spell. Just re watch this. Now, I saw heaven open. John's seeing all of this. I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in his righteousness, he judges again, his righteous judgment, and he makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. 
He had a name written that no one except him understood it really. And he was clothed with a robe, dripped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen. Hey, that's us. We clothed in fine linen in white, clean. We're going to follow him and we're going to get a horse. We're going to be riding white horses. Symbolic most likely. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword. That with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule over them. And he'll rule, have a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. By the way, we talked about that in 17 and 18. You know who the judge is? It's the Lamb of God. It's Jesus himself. He's going to tread the winepress. And he has on his robe, watch this, verse 16. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written. And here it is. King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. Here's the truth in your outline. The second coming of Jesus Christ is the most exciting event in all of biblical prophecy. The second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be the most spectacular event in all of biblical prophecy. And so it's from the Old Testament prophets all the way up to the dated believers. Millions upon millions of people are looking for this day. Do you know that? I'm looking for it. Are you looking for it? Millions of people are looking for this day when Jesus Christ comes as Jesus himself, as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And what's he going to do? We'll talk about it next Sunday. He's going to establish his kingdom right here on earth in the millennial kingdom. He's going to be peace on earth. We've been talking about it for years and years and years. Peace, peace, peace. But in that day, in that thousand-year reign, there's going to be peace on earth in a corrupt earth. In verse 11 and 12, he talks about him being of the faithful and true and has many crowns. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. You know why? Because he's a king. And the king is coming. Can you imagine with me what John was thinking? Now, don't you put yourself in John's place. John is the apostle. John was one of those disciples that walked with Jesus while he was here on earth. Now, can you imagine what John's seeing now in heaven? Now, he saw the scourging. He saw Jesus being crucified. He he saw the resurrection. He saw the ascension. He saw the, the, the rising of Jesus. And now he sees the sky split open. And there he is again, this same Jesus. And he's riding a great white horse. I think John's thinking, last time I saw you, you was riding a donkey. And you were headed into Jerusalem. And man, all the people were saying, hallelujah, hosanna, hosanna. And that's when it happened. That's when they scourged you and mocked you and spit on you and pulled your beard out. And the high priest backhanded you and... And then they scourged you, and Pilate had you scourged, and then they put you on a cross, and all the time you already said nothing, and then I heard it. I was standing by your mother Mary, and I heard it. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And I remember going back to the upper room and how 
dejected I was and how me and the disciples were so afraid the Romans were gonna, we'd be next. And, and then we went out and we heard you had arisen. We went to the tomb, me and Peter and Mary. And then we saw you in that great white glorified presence. And you took us to the Mount of Olives. And I'll never forget what you said. You said, guys, the way you see me leave is the way I'm going to come back. And now I'm seeing it. I'm seeing the great white horse. I'm seeing the pomp and the pageantry of the wedding ceremony and the supper and all the people together. Can you imagine what he's seeing? Can you imagine? He saw Jesus as a suffering servant. Now he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. This awesome thing is taking place. The second coming of Jesus Christ on earth, he's going to come and establish his kingdom. Look in Matthew 24. Turn there with me, if you will. Matthew chapter 24. And I want you to see this. Matthew chapter 24, look in verse number uh, 27. Matthew 24, verse 27. Again, this is Jesus speaking while he was on earth. He tried to tell the disciples some of these things are going to happen, but they couldn't comprehend it, so he didn't elaborate a lot. But he did say this. Verse 27, Matthew 24. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For whenever the carcass, wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. He's going to talk about that in a moment. The coming of the Son of Man, immediately after the tribulation, get this, after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars are going to fall from heaven. The powers of heaven will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. And then all the tribes of the earth, this is that Babylonian influence, all those in the tribulation left behind, they're going to mourn. They're going to mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Now don't miss this, verse 31. And He will send His angels with a great sound of the trumpet, the midnight cry. And they will gather together His elect, the the ones that are still there, the Jews, all of those, from the four corners of the earth, from one end of heaven to the other. And we'll talk about this next Sunday, how he's going to deal with the Jewish nation in the tribulation, I mean in the millennial kingdom. And so can you get this picture? Everybody on earth's going to see him. Every eye, every tongue's going to confess, every knee's going to bow when they see the coming, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're going to mourn. And guess who's going to be with him? We are riding our white horses in our glorified white apparel. We're coming back with him to set up this kingdom right here on earth. It's going to be an awesome, awesome time. Now, notice verse 15, the weapon he's going to use back in Revelations 19. Look in verse 15. What's the weapon he's going to use? Man, he's going to have all these armies of Armageddon coming against him, against Israel. Look in verse 15. Now, out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nation. What is his weapon? His weapon is the Word of God. His sword is the Word of God. Hebrews 4.12 says this, For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the 
soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow. And he's a discerner of the fault and the intents of the heart. Just as the Word of God was the agent of creation, God spoke us into the world. He spoke the moon and the stars. He spoke creation. That was His agent, His Word. He was the Word, remember? And now Jesus Christ is also the Word, John 1, 1. And now the Word is speaking judgment. He's going to judge all the nations. How's He going to do that? With the Word of God. Remember, in, remember chapter 18? How long is it going to take? One hour? It won't even take that long. He's going to speak. Amen. It's over. We don't need a weapon on our horse. We don't need any weapon. We got the weapon. His name is Jesus. He's going to speak. Amen. And the earth is going to be destroyed. By a sharp, two-edged sword it goes. That's why you need to get into the Word of God. That's why you need to know the Word of God. It's the weapon that we use. It's not our fist. It's not our gun. It's not our intellect. It's the Word of God that does the judgment. And I'm telling you, He's going to judge. The last one, the number four, the enemy is defeated. Look in verses 17 through 21. Watch this. The enemy is defeated. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven. By the way, I believe animals are going to be in heaven. Dog, Fido, and uh, going to be up there. There going to be some dogs in heaven. I don't, know, I don't believe all dogs go to heaven. Some just flat out mean. <laughs> One of them bit me years ago. He ain't going to heaven. <laughs> well, there's going to be birds, and maybe a few cats. I don't know, but maybe a few cats. But you see, are there birds in heaven? And by the way, the millennial kingdom, the lion's going to lay down with the lamb. Right? I just thought I'd inject that for those of you that uh, like animals. All right, the, the, they fly in the midst of heaven, and they come and gather together for the supper of the great God. Now, this is the great supper of the great God. What's going to happen? This is sad, isn't it? Verse 18, that you may eat the flesh of kings. You're going to eat the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, presidents, emperors, pharaohs, the flesh of horses, and of those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. What he's saying here is there's going to be a picture of devastation on planet earth. And so we see this happening. And watch verse 19. Boy, this is what I like. Watch this. And John said, I saw the beast. I mean, we've been talking about the beast for several weeks. But I saw the beast, which is the Antichrist, the kings of the earth, and all their armies gathered together at Armageddon to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army, us, saints. Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. So a lot of people will say, you told us this. We thought you were the man. You're the Antichrist. Oh, my word, we were deceived. Look, he's the one. He's the king. Don't you be deceived. Don't be deceived by false prophecy, false prophets, by things that's not in this book. 
Don't be deceived, my friends. They had the mark of the beast. They went all the way to have the mark of the beast in their head. Watch this. They worshipped his image. These two were cast, the, the Antichrist, the beast, and the false prophet were cast alive in the lake of fire, burning with brimstone, and the rest were killed with a sword which proceeded from the mouth of Jesus, who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. Oh, my word. Unlike the marriage supper of, of the Lord, the Lamb, this is the marriage supper of God. And by the way, instead of the beast and the kings eating food, they were the food. They were the food for all those birds that were feasting on them. It's a picture of the battle of Armageddon when Jesus returns and he defeated the beast and the false prophets once and for all. Verse 19 describes the battleground. Just one is going to say one word. What's he going to say that one word? Probably going to be finished. It is finished. It is finished. Now I want you to look in Revelation 20.10. Just look. Oh, we'll get here next week, but watch this. Look in Revelation chapter 20, verse 10. The devil who deceived them, he's behind it all, right? The unholy trinity. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. They're already there. Satan's going to join them after a thousand years. But the beast and the false prophet are immediately, they're the very first ones cast into eternal hell. The very first ones. Now watch this. And you talk about, well, I thought the, the rich man and Lazarus and all of that. It's kind of like the grave. The grave is going to be our holding place. There's a place for those who are holding, wait for the eternal hell and eternal heaven. Hades it's referred to. Skull. All right, now watch this. Look at what's the last part of that. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever and ever. The devil, the false prophet, and the Antichrist. Hell is the final permanent place of punishment for all of those who refuse to give their life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And you tell me there's no hell. I just read it. I just read it to you. Fire and brimstone. Eternal punishment. There is a place called hell. I wish there wasn't. The beast and the false prophet are the very first persons to be cast in hell. And as I said, Satan's going to join them a thousand years later. And we'll talk about that next week. David Jeremiah had a quote. It's in your outline. Listen to this quote. I like this. He said, Jesus possessed the most compassionate heart that ever beat in a man. And yet he spoke of hell. He warned of hell. He described hell. However, most preachers today may extol the glories of heaven, but repress the horrors of hell. Simply means we've got to preach the whole council. Right? Now, I've been doing that in Revelation. I know there had not been pleasant messages these past few messages in Revelation. But I'm telling you, if we're going to preach it all, I love chapter 19. I love 20, 21, 22. But you've got to preach it all. Because I'm telling you, listen, I'm trying to help us. Some of your neighbors, some of your loved ones, some of your very own family are going there. And if we don't tell, if hell is hell and we don't tell, what kind of people are we? We need to be sharing Christ and let people know there is a place called eternity. 
It's called separation from God forever. It's called hell. There's also a place prepared. God's prepared for the Lamb and His people who would accept Him as their personal Savior. It's a place called heaven. They're both real, and they're both biblical. And you get to make the choice. You make the choice where you're going to spend eternity. I make the choice. I made mine in 1979. I'm going to heaven. I know I'm going to heaven because I'm a Christian. Not because I'm a Baptist. Not because I'm a good person or a preacher. But I'm going to heaven because I'm a Christian. Because Christ has come into my heart and changed my heart. I've done what I ask you to do. I walked down an aisle and made it public. I got baptized publicly. That's why I ask you to do that. I would not ask you to do anything that I haven't done or we haven't done as Christians. And some of you are going to let the fear of walking down an aisle, a fear of being publicly in front of somebody, send you to hell. You're going to do that. You're going to make a decision. I just don't want to do it. I'm too embarrassed. You walked down an aisle when you got married. So walk down an aisle and get married to Jesus. It's more important than your earthly marriage. By the fact, your eternity is dependent upon it. It's your choice. Choose well. Father, help us. We desperately need you, Lord. We're trying to be honest. We're trying to be open. We're trying to help people. And Lord, I, I believe we've let the culture of the day seep into the church and we just kind of, Lord, just kind of uh, toned it down and preached around it. And all the while, Lord, the truth is eternity is in the balance. And I want to pray right now, Lord, with everything I have in my humble heart that you would save some men here today. You would save some women in this place today. Some boys and girls, some teenagers maybe. They need to make a decision. I'm making my decision today. I'm, I'm receiving Christ. I'm not going to take a chance by some religious thing I did. But I'm going to know that I know Jesus. And I'm going to settle it today. And I want to know that I'm going to go to heaven. Because I see this world winding down. I see the immorality that's prevalent. And I know that something's stirring. Something's happening in our world today. And I want to know that our name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And so I want to be saved today. I pray that's your prayer today. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Some of you need to find a church home. And you need to come today and join this church. God's led you here. I wouldn't ask you to do it if God didn't. But if God's moving in your heart to be a part of a church that preaches the truth, I'm going to ask you to come. Walk down this aisle and say, I want to be a part of Lindsay Lane. Me and my family want to come. And join this church. Some of you want to come to this altar. you got loved ones. And God's spoken to you today. Before we take the Lord's Supper, you need to come and do business with God. Maybe pray for someone. Father, seal this message to our hearts. That we may be obedient to your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? And would you come?